you know, some people just ask why, like, why do you think it's okay to do your work or, you know, why, why is it okay for this sort of service to exist? Some people have wrong information. They think people are provided drugs here, which is not the case. There's a lot of misinformation swirling around this place. Hi, I'm Michelle Ransom-Hughes. Welcome to Nobody Dies Here. There's only, you know, the two facilities in the whole of Australia. So it is a unique workspace, but the space is meant to be about the clients or, you know, people, for want of a better word, being able to come in off the street, come in out of the cold and be treated respectfully. And that starts right from our security personnel that are outside the building. All right. I'm here like 6.15. I open both buildings, um, alarms off, and I just go put away radios. I just make sure that all the lights on in the building. And when I finish my duties, that's where the, when the staff comes in. <laughs> I get it, I get it. <laughs> and we are the security, the one who unlocked the front door and let the clients in. What will greet you when you unlock that front door? Soon you hit the door and open up and it's almost like, oh, you guys open? And I will be like, yes, please welcome. The big smile, oh, thank you for opening up, you know, and they walk in, so... Imagine if we are not opening at that hours or if we are not there, where would they go? Either alleyways or school or multi-storey car park. If there's no one there to monitor them, they could have lost their life, to be simple. And this place here are saving life. I've never met security guards like the ones at the MSIR. That's shorthand for Medically Supervised Injecting Room, MSIR, MSO. Anyway, this warm welcome, it's true for everyone right through the building, no matter who you are, and I can't wait to show you around. Here's Beatty, who you'll meet in episode two. He's been coming here since the beginning. Yeah, at first it was, for me, I couldn't believe it, you know. You could go in there, you know, and legally you could have your heroin, you know, it was, it felt weird. You know, like, I felt like, shit, when, the, when are the cops going to kick down the door? <laughs> a lot of us were thinking like that, you know, like, you know, they're going to raid this joint. You know, there's cameras everywhere, they're going to, they're taking our DNA or something. Like, there was all this conspiracy stuff, but word passed around, you know. I'm actually the fourth person registered, so I've been going there a long time. Since 2018, that was when the state government decided too many people were dying from heroin overdose in the city's alleys, parks and public toilets. At first, the MSER trial was set up inside the existing North Richmond Community Health Centre. Locals were very used to the old needle exchange and outreach teams, but having a supervised room with clinical staff was next level. The old order of things was on its head. Now, almost five years later, the people this place was built for come in droves. The MSER has its own building with 20 injecting booths and it gets on average 250 visits a day. Some days visits peak at more than 400. Yes, there have been stories told about the MSER from outside, 
and naturally the room has its opponents and its advocates. But I was invited in to listen, and this is the result, an audio portrait to help you have an informed opinion about the value of what goes on in here and whether this place and others like it are necessary. Across the series, staff will take us through zone by zone. Picture a roughly oval-shaped building with zones flowing around it like this. Zone one, entry. Two, injecting. Three, aftercare. And four, consulting. At the center, the staff hub with its multitude of interconnecting doors. You're going to hear the voices of harm reduction practitioners, clinically trained nurses, the MD, people from different disciplines working side by side in a way that's unusual in healthcare. And then every alternate episode, another side of the same story. Meet people who access the room as clients, talking about the MSER and their lives. We're already in zone one. Let's get going. As soon as people walk into the building of the injecting room, the first thing you see is the NSP. That's the Needle and Syringe Program. It's a service that's been in Richmond for years and now it's housed here in the MSO building. Uh, so people who haven't been to us before will normally come straight to us and then we'll have a little chat to them about um, what they're after, whether they're after equipment, whether they're after the room, whether they're after um, other AOD supports, doctors, things like that. And then we'll have a lot of our regulars who will kind of know the drill and they know our side in Zone 1, where the NSPs will uh, be handing out uh, new equipment and then on the other side is where they go into the room. It's a really small little nook that we've got here and I think that can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge because we might have six people waiting to go into the injecting room and then a few people waiting for the NSP or waiting for consulting services. Mostly people come to the NSP for new needles and syringes. They're given out in brown paper bags, along with cotton swabs and a spoon, some extras like sterile water, paper cups, some tourniquets and butterfly needles come at a small cost. Always using a new needle is a fundamental of safe injecting and harm reduction, so people can have whatever they ask for, whether it's a couple of syringes or a box of 100. We get a lot of people who will be picking up equipment for other people in the household or for the partners, for family members, for friends, for peers. Uh, I think we've even got like people from like some boarding houses will come and pick up lots of boxes just so that everyone in the boarding house is sort of um, catered for. People also come in for all sorts of advice and support. I don't know how often a day we get asked to charge a phone, but I want to say maybe at least 20 times. Especially with a lot of our clientele, like if they're living uh, sort of 
transient lifestyles or if they're primary or secondary homeless and they just don't have those opportunities to charge their phones and like nowadays everything is on your phone. We'll come back to the NSP later, but for now, let's go up to the other end of this long front counter where there are always two workers ready to help people who are here to access the injecting room. There'll generally be one nurse and one harm reduction practitioner. One of the security team will also be in the space or not far away. So for zone one, we check them in basically and we'd be like, hey, welcome. What are you, what's going on today? How are you feeling? What are you using? And let's get you in there as soon as possible. I think it surprises people. It's just kind of like going to the doctor's office. Um, you know, there's a waiting room, there's a reception area, there's, there's a nurse's office out the back. It's not some wild land, it's, it's just another community service. You don't need an appointment here and you don't need to use your real name, but everyone needs to be logged in to the live database. Everyone's got a password and we t- keep basic details. Perhaps they've given us a nickname or um, a, f- a name that they can respond to but isn't connected to them um, to feel a little safer. The nurse in charge here is working her triage skills. She calls it eyeballing. Eyeballing as a nurse is just looking at somebody really briefly, how they're looking, how they're breathing, what their colour's like, are they sweating, are they grimacing in pain. Uh, so a whole lot of assessments are done really quickly in a, in a few short moments. We'll log them in, we'll ask them what they intend to use today, if it's heroin when the, or any drug, uh, when the last time they had some was. And we do sort of make a bit of an assessment when we're talking with the clients, getting information about what drugs they're taking that day and, and some other sort of risk factors that might con- you know, contribute to an overdose. Like alcohol or medications or pills and that sort of thing. Understanding drugs, understanding harm reduction is a huge part of our job too. It's not just enough to know how to respond to an overdose, but we need to know how drugs interact with one another. I'm not a pharmacologist by any stretch of the imagination, but I know enough about at least commonly used um, recreational drugs to tell me what to expect in a person's presentation or in their overdose risk or, you know. The highest number of overdose deaths in this country is not from heroin overdose. It's from prescription opiate overdose. And it's frequently rural and it's um, predominantly men between the ages of, like, 35 and 55, I think. The stigma and the sort of um, furore and the scandalised nature of heroin is people think it's this big, horrible thing. It's almost exactly the same as prescription opioids in terms of the fact that they can be lethal without the right care. People need to know from their doctors and their communities how to look after each other, and that's it. It's not the big, scary um, demon that people make it out to be. It's just a medication or it's just a substance that has the potential for harm without the right supports in place. Uh, Jane, 79. Um, All right, what are you using today? And when was your last shot? Uh, About two hours ago. 
Is it likely that they'll be honest with you about what they've got, what they've taken already? I think most of the time they are because there's no judgment from our, our, our side. You don't, you know, you're, everybody's welcome. So no matter what you've taken, um, no matter what drugs you've had that day, um, you are welcome to come in. And there's certain criteria you've got to meet with regards to being able to enter. And as long as that's met, um, what drugs you take is not judged at all. So they're, they're likely to be honest. I can't say everybody is, but they're more likely to be honest because it doesn't matter, you're still allowed in. And their profile has a little bit of a history of their health. You know, some people might have a history of epilepsy or seizures and it's really helpful for us to know this stuff so we can best look after them both while it's happening and in the immediate aftermath and and the days following. And they have to show you the drugs, right? Yeah, we asked to have a look at the drugs because one of the regulations about coming in is that you're not allowed to um, have any deals inside the premises. So you have to come in with your own drugs. Not that we would really know. You're just showing us one thing that you've got on you. We don't search people's pockets and ask for everything. So, But it's mostly, from our perspective, it's mostly to make sure that somebody comes in um, already having their drugs and not trying to seek drugs in there. Can you tell by looking at... No, not really. You could be showing me a Panadol crushed up or sugar or anything. At every step of the way, there's so much trust between the parties. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny for such a highly regulated space. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Hi, beautiful. The most rigid of these regulations staff need to adhere to are around who can access the injecting zone, zone two. Yeah, well, look, the service has licensing agreements and they're set by the Department of Health and, you know, they set um, parameters. So we operate within those. Um, like one of them, for example, is if you're female and you're pregnant, you cannot use our service. Um, there are fors and against for that. Um, we wish that those people were not excluded from our service. Uh, but unfortunately they are. If you're under the age of 18, you can't come into the service. If people want to use together, they can book a double, a double booth. But to be allowed in, each of them has got to be able to inject themselves, and they must have done it at least once before. Staff are strictly prohibited from injecting anyone. Certain bail conditions exclude people from the room, and people can be temporarily banned from the room if they act up. Um, we want people to be respectful. We want our, our service to be a safe space for everybody. So if people want to come in and be aggressive or they want to come in and start fights, which is very rare, by the way, then, yeah, those sort of behaviours, we, you know, we try and manage those. Uh, personally, I don't like excluding people from our service. Um, the, you know, the risk of that is that they're doing things that we don't want them doing outside. When we're open, people should be able to come and use our service. There's a, a lot of differing opinion among the staff group and the management group about some of those sort of areas. Um, it's a very grey area. You're dealing with humans and, yeah, it can be challenging. Yeah. Uh, when was your last shot? Yesterday. And anything else? Unlike the injecting room, which is bound by its Department of Health licensing conditions, the NSP, the Needle and Syringe Program, here at the front counter, can legally support anyone who walks in. 
This can be a lifeline for the communities most vulnerable, most especially for women. The women that can't access the room, they will be pregnant or they will have a partner inject them or a peer inject them. Um, And we see that more so in women than what we do in men. So um, we can actually have those conversations with her about the risks of someone else injecting her or how to have someone else inject you safely or how to uh, inject safely or as safely as possible while you're pregnant. Probably the taboo of taboos, a pregnant woman injecting heroin. Yeah, but I think just because it's taboo doesn't mean that it's not happening Um, And if we just ignore everything that society sees as taboo, we're leaving people at severe risk. And that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, people are going to get pregnant and they're not going to suddenly stop using. What do you know about the risk to a baby? Obviously there's going to be risk to the baby um, and I think, like, that's... I think that's really awful. Um, but regardless, we need to look at the facts that there are going to be pregnant women injecting and they're going to be pregnant women injecting through their full um, their full term. So we can't just be like, okay, well, we don't want you to do that, so we're not going to help you. There has to be something where we meet the client at where they're at. And I think when we start doing that, in we can actually get to the point of them wanting to abstain or wanting to go into recovery. We're never going to get that if we're just being like, no, you're doing the wrong thing and we're just going to ignore you and we're not going to provide any services for you. The MSER is open seven days, but come the weekend, opening hours are reduced and the NSP is closed. Back to logging in, a client might mention they need to see an on-site GP or access another service within the MSER. Staff will flag this in the database and follow up. But for most people, what they want is to use the injecting room now. So staff will call through to Zone 2, check whether it's safe to send a client in. If there are any issues, maybe an overdose or the room is full, then clients need to wait. Most of our clients, when they come into Zone 1 and they haven't used for a little while, they're feeling unwell, they're feeling in pain, they're feeling anxious um, and understandably impatient because they're not feeling well. Um, And hanging out or withdrawing is extraordinarily uncomfortable. So that's the anxiety that makes Zone 1 more intense is that folks are really keen to get in. And so for me, the respect lays in trying to help them get in as quickly as possible and helping them understand how long the wait might be so that they can then temper their own expectations and help themselves wait rather than feeling more more and more impatient, more and more in pain, more and more frustrated because they're not being tended to. So how do you manage it? Uh, you thank people for being patient. You call a horse a horse. Like, thank you for wait. You know, for your politeness. It won't be much longer. You know, let folks know in a number of seconds or minutes how long it will be, so that they can regulate themselves. If you say I'm not sure how long it's going to be, most folks will throw their hands up and go, "Ah, 
Why bother coming here if I have to wait for so long? So if you give people a, a minimal time frame that's realistic, folks are happy to wait. They're very polite, they're very courteous and, you know, noble. Often will let others go in front of them if they're feeling more unwell. And, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a community, you know, same as any other and folks are friendly. Another thing that might be surprising about this place is the range of people who are accessing the room. For, for some people, they they need to uh, have regular, you know, amounts of their chosen substance because without it, they have nasty, you know, nasty withdrawals. So yeah, for some clients, we see them come into the space several times a day. Um, but we also have people that come and use the service after work. You know, they come in, they uh, inject some heroin, and they go home. Uh, we have tradies, you know, all sorts of people that come and use the service. There are granddads who come in. There are couples who've been together forever. There are brothers who have always looked out for each other. There are mums and daughters. There's, you know, all adults, obviously. Um, there's folks who haven't had another human speak to them in weeks because society considers them to be other. You know, it's part of being human. We all have those needs, whether it's to, you know, go to the gym after work, whether it's to go and have a, you know, a six pack at home or three pints at the pub or a shot of heroin. So there's a wide plethora of people that do come in. Um, some people find the injecting process a lot easier than others. Others need a lot of support, um, which they can find from the staff. But also some people just come into the service because they feel accepted there. They feel that they can come and inject safely in the service, that they're not going to get hassled. You know, there's not going to be a security guard or, you know, someone banging on the toilet door at McDonald's. Whoever is a new guard just comes on the side. Um, I just take them around, show them this is the community, this is the place. You're going to see every level of the society, you know, people from really low to really high, and we can't disclose them who they are. And the way we respect the rich people, we're standing outside the restaurant and welcoming them. That's how we should be here. And it shouldn't be a difference. Humanity is first. And we have to be smile on the face. We have to say, hi, hello. And you promise to you, these people will listen to you and respect you. I have two people. All right, tap. For people who, you know, have a dependency on a substance, if it's one of the substances that's been seen by society as a banned substance or an illegal substance, then the risks that go with that are enormous. It means that the heroin I buy, 
I have no idea what's in it. I don't know how strong it is. Um, even if I buy it from the same person all the time because they don't know what's in it. So, you know, that's all down to the laws that we have and the drug policies that we have. And that makes it very unsafe for people and it affects every time they use that substance. The policing as well, you know, they get incarcerated for sub for having substance on them. They get stigmatised pretty much everywhere. So it affects their, yeah, from the time they wake up to the time they go to sleep. Yeah. And you can, you can see the impacts on them because they come into our service and they've just had an encounter with police or they've just had, you know... Um, a fight with someone down the road who called them a junkie or, you know, yeah, it's horrible. No one wakes up and thinks, oh, today I might go and get an addiction. Sounds like a really good idea. People that have no contact with people that use drugs are educated by the media. And it's a really bad education they're giving because they're not giving a full story. They're giving a fraction of the story. Hi, ladies. I'll just grab those, please. Yes, of course. Here's one. Uh, uh, it's a little portable shot, a little square. I think it might be the one I've got. Yeah, there you go. Pretty cool. Here it is. They come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. I love the people that come through. Yep, they've got that one element that society wants to judge them by. They could have a number of elements. They might have been to prison. They might have they might be sex workers, but they are the most resilient, amazing people with kind hearts and the most wicked sense of humour. I love their sense of humour because I, I relate to their sense of humour. So, and they've got no filter process. So I just find it sort of entertaining. <laughs> are you saying you have fun at work? Yes, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. nurses there walking around watching everyone. Yeah, if you need help, bang, they're onto it straight away. How do you feel about their presence? Um, at, at first it was a bit... Um, some, you know, they're standing over you, sort of, you know. Not standing over you, but they're behind you, watching everyone, just, just for safe, for health and safety reasons, not that they're, you know. But, um, yeah, you get used to it, you know. And you get used to seeing staff that you know, so, you, you know, you know their names here. You build up that sort of, you know, friendship with them, you know. Like when you're in there, you can't move around and swap things with people. You know, once you're in your booth, that's it. And they'll, they'll kick you out, you know. It's not like um, a drug den. You know, people lying in the corner and, 
you know, you, you can't smoke drugs in there, you know, and you can't pass stuff between each other, you know, things like that. There are a lot of people, you know, when they're on the nod, but, um, yeah, there's also a lot of people that are joking around, and nothing serious, you know, just like, yeah, it's a good feeling when you're in there. And the way they talk to you, you know, they talk to you like a normal person, you know. Only if you're comfortable. I wanted to That's ask okay. you whether you fear overdose. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because it's happened to me, me before. That's Beatty again. He features in the next episode of Nobody Dies Here. Then in episode three, we step inside the injecting zone. Huge thanks to the healthcare workers in this episode. Kerry, Paul, Simon, Carmel, Jess and Lisa. To Amri and all the staff of the MSIR who lent their voices and their support to this series. I couldn't have done it without you. And to those MSIR clients who allowed me into your space, thank you. This series is for you and for all those we lost. Thanks to Jen Anderson for our theme. You'll find all the music credits and acknowledgements in the show notes. Nobody Dies Here was recorded in North Richmond on Wurundjeri land and produced in Mianjin on Turrbal Yuggera country. The sovereignty of First Nations peoples has never been ceded. I'm Michelle Ransom-Hughes for Alongside Radio. Thank you for listening.